Welcome to Roleplaying History, the podcast where we explore the history of role-playing games. I'm Wayne Davis, and I'll be your guide for today's tour. Episode 47, Wrestling Role-Playing Games. Alright, so here's where I let you in on a little secret. I've been a fan of wrestling since I was a little kid. It's true. It's damn true. Sorry, that's gimmick infringement. My bad. Um, Since I was born in 1973, I can vaguely remember watching wrestling in the late 70s and early 80s on television when I was at my grandma's house. and That happened quite frequently once my parents got divorced in 1980. So for those of you who just happen to be wrestling fans as well, you might remember this period of time being basically the end of what was known as the territory era of wrestling as Vince McMahon purchased the then WWF from his father in the early 80s then bought up or took over territories all over North America until his company was the number one company in the country and the world period sorry my history geekness comes out when I start covering any subject it's not just tabletop role-playing games I'm sorry let's get back on topic Professional wrestling, or sports entertainment if you're a WWE fan, has been not only exceptionally popular with its devoted fan base, but it's also a moneymaker for those who can succeed in promoting it for a long period of time. So, since Dungeons & Dragons established the path for tabletop role-playing games, it only made sense that wrestling would shortly thereafter follow down that same path. And... Before we get into the games, I do want to answer a question that you're probably asking right now. Why is wrestling the only sport that has a role-playing game? Why not baseball or football or, hell, soccer? While that's a really good question, the answer isn't really all that sexy. You can't simulate the action of any of those sports in a tabletop role-playing game as well as you can in reality, or even in a video game. I mean, baseball does have Stratomatic, and while that's not a tabletop role-playing game, it's a damn good game I played for a whole lot of years before my family had the cash to buy me a gaming console when I was a kid. As one of my inspirations for this podcast, Conrad Thompson would say, throw it in your Google machine. Trust me, it's worth it. It can be argued, and I'm sure I'm going to frequently do that during this show, that wrestling doesn't really simulate well in a tabletop role-playing game format. But the same can also be said for combat, and that hasn't stopped Dungeons & Dragons from being the multi-headed monster of the gaming world that it's been for nearly 50 years. Now, normally on shows like this, I use a timeline format. I start with the earliest game in a particular genre, then work my way through the games being played today. I'm going to break from that a bit today for a big reason. While I know there had to be wrestling role-playing games in the late 70s and early 80s, for whatever reason, I just can't seem to find them when I dig online. I'm going to keep digging, and if and when I find them, we can always do a revisit of this episode. That's going to make like uh, six revisits in our first year, but that's okay. That's okay. Gives us more episodes to do, and that's, that's a good thing. Anyway, I'm going to work my way through the list of wrestling-based role-playing games that I've got, and then we'll discuss how they work, how they were reviewed, and whether they're still available for you to buy and enjoy today. So, it's pretty much a normal episode. We're just going to make a few minor adjustments. So, alright, I've rambled on long enough. Let's, Let's get the tour bus rolling along. All Star Wrestling is the first game on the tour today. 
Afterthought Images published the game, which was written and illustrated by Paul Schulze in 1991. For the record, All-Star Wrestling was published as a 96-page softcover book. The focus of All-Star Wrestling was on, you guessed it, creating your wrestler and competing against other wrestlers. And the system was built for this. Now, for much of the info on this, we're relying on Stephen Panissi, who wrote up his review of the game on RollingBoxCars.com late in 2021. His was the most complete telling of the game and how it works that I found anywhere, and I've read some of his reviews in the past while doing research for this show, and he has not led me wrong yet. So, Stephen Panissi, you get the source credit for info for this game. Jolly good. Before rolling dice and figuring out how to build your wrestler, you had to decide what kind of wrestler you wanted to be. The book provided descriptions for four types. Scientific technicians, powerhouses, brawlers, and aerialists. Let me see if I can match these up with some examples you might know. Um, scientific technicians. These would be the Ric Flair, Dean Malenko, Seth Rollins, Chris Jericho types. Types of guys that know and use a lot of holds. Though, Flair might be more of a brawler. Maybe we could put Sting in the technician category? Anyway, let, let's, let's go to powerhouses. Kevin Nash, Paul White, a.k.a. The Big Show, Bobby Lashley, and if you're a fan of AEW, put Wardlow on this list. These are those built-like-a-brick shithouse dudes that thrive on tossing smaller dudes all over the ring. For the record, the late great Andre the Giant would also be a powerhouse. Brawlers, uh, that would be John Moxley, a.k.a. Dean Ambrose, Roman Reigns, Drew McIntyre. I think you get my point. They might have a specialty move or two they use, but they've got no issues with standing toe-to-toe -to -toe and just throwing bombs at each other. Aerialists. I mean, really, do I need to name these guys? Right, Rey Mysterio, Darby Allin, Matt and Jeff Hardy, uh, any of the luchadors from, from AAA wrestling in, in Mexico or anywhere around the world. The aerialists, that list literally goes on and on and on and on and on. Okay, I realize I didn't name any of the women of professional wrestling on this list, and I do apologize. For you fans of Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair, Dr. Britt Baker, and all of the very talented women out there wrestling today, just take a second. You can figure out where they fit into one of those categories. I just needed to note that, for the record, women's wrestling was not the big mainstream thing in 1991 that it is today. So I'm sure Paul Schultze probably wasn't even considering it when he created the game. And I'm going to apologize for him for that. Okay, once you've got an idea for what kind of wrestler you want, you have to apply points to the primary attributes, which are power, agility, quickness, technical ability, and endurance. Of course, you'll base the points you put into each on what kind of wrestler you want. How do you get the points, you may ask? You roll 10d10, then you add 200 points to it. Split that total up how you see fit among those five primary attributes. Those totals then help you figure out what the secondary attributes are, which are things like damage bonus, damage points to endure things like slams and strikes, recovery, and, and a few others. Next, you determine your wrestler's age. Now, the game recommends starting between 16 and 28, though you can be older if you choose to start in a regional federation before you join the ASWF. That's the All-Star Wrestling Federation, which is, you guessed it, the default organization for the game. By the way, when you hear regional federation, 
put it in modern parlance, think independent wrestling company. Anyway, the game provides 10 of these regional feds for you to use, if you choose, and they provide a, a pretty detailed history. Also, for every two years you spent in a regional fed, there's a chance you held a title belt. If that happened, you get some bonus points for maneuvers and skills. Now, at character creation, you get 150 points to spend on maneuvers and skills. You can have more if you held a title in a regional fed, or if you choose a drawback like glass jaw or stupid moves. I think those are pretty self-explanatory, so I'm, I'm not going to go any deeper here. Once you've figured all of that out, you distribute the points by choosing from 36 holds and 78 strikes that are detailed in the book. Now, some of the holds and strikes have prerequisites, so you're going to have to take your time and you're going to have to plan things out as you build. Okay, you've built your wrestler. Time to ring the bell. Action occurs in phases, which are six seconds long. Doing the math, that means there are 10 phases in a minute. Insofar as how long the matches will last, that is up to the players. If you look at modern WWE or AEW matches, those tend to last between 5 and 12 minutes or so, with the occasional special match that goes 20 minutes or more. I'm, I'm not going to dive quite as deep into the action part of this. I'm just not. But just understand that each wrestler gets to act in as many phases as they have to act in, and that's determined by their agility score. Once the first wrestler decides what they're going to do, the rolling begins. If they're successful, their opponent can attempt to break it. If they fail at the break, then the hold can be maintained until either the wrestler chooses to release it or until it's broken. I think you see how this goes. Lather, rinse, repeat. Matches can end by pinfall, DQ, or time limit. And the rules also provide for tag team wrestling if you're a Steiner Brothers fan and you are so inclined. You also gain wrestler points for each match, provided you aren't DQ'd. Earn enough of those, you get a title shot. Win a title and you get more points after each match. Now, it's obvious to me when reading Panissi's review of this game that he not only enjoyed the game, but he is also at least a fringe wrestling fan, as he seems to understand the concepts of holds and actions that would take place during the course of a match. I would also note that in the August 1994 edition of Dragon Magazine, that is issue 208 for those keeping track, Lester Smith wrote a glowing review, giving it a 5 out of 6 and stating that, quote, the writing is clean with an open, engaging style, and so are the illustrations, end quote. He had one, yes, one complaint, quote, the game focuses so much on the wrestlers themselves that it pretty much ignores the reaction of the crowds, end quote. With all of that, I regret to inform you that All-Star Wrestling is not available for purchase anymore. Panissi himself had tried to track down used copies of the game, but to no avail. He also notes that there aren't any legal PDFs for sale out there, and he was only able to get his due to a variation on a Humble Bundle that he purchased from another company that just happened to have this game in it. So that begs the question, what the hell happened? Panissi theorized, and I agree, that perhaps the print run of the game was too small for it to have ever really gotten a good foothold in the market. And it's also possible that even if it was larger, the fans of the game just didn't want to give up their books. And the PDF situation can be pretty easily explained as well. Afterthought Images no longer exists as a publishing company. I wasn't able to figure out when they went out of business, but I'll lay even money it was well before PDFs were a thing. 
At that point, it then becomes an issue as to who owns the property. And if Paul Schulze hasn't taken advantage of that, either he no longer owns the property, isn't aware he could possibly be making money off of it, or is no longer alive to be able to do so. I wasn't able to confirm any of those, so they're just theories for now. If you know something about any of my little theories here, please let me know and we'll talk about it in a future show. Next up on the tour is the WWF role-playing game. Written by M. David Clark and published by Wit Publications, it saw its release in 1993. Now, this is another game I had to scour the old interwebs to get info on since it's been out of print for more than 20 years. And while I don't have a lot of specifics on the game, I do have Scott Herring's review of the game from August 1st, 1994 in Pyramid Magazine number 8, and I'll be referring to it frequently during this rundown. Herring noted something in his review that I myself wondered about when considering a wrestling role-playing game. Quote, a wrestling match typically pairs up a good guy and a bad guy. Face and heel, if you want to dig into some lingo. The nature of the match requires that one of them allow the other one to do what needs to be done to tell the story, sell the match, and make the crowd interested in what's going on. Role-playing games don't have a mechanic for a prearranged finish to a combat. They just don't. End quote. WWF role-playing game at least took this into account, with Clark utilizing the initiative concept from Dungeons & Dragons, along with a creation of his own called the Wear-Down System. I'll explain how it works by quoting Herring's article directly again. Quote, The wrestler with initiative keeps it as long as he keeps making his rolls to execute offensive maneuvers, and the other wrestler doesn't get a critical success on his counter-move. The amount of stun damage each move does translates into a number of stun points you have to set up your opponent for the next move. It costs a certain number of points to get your opponent to stand up with his back to you in the middle of the ring, costs more points for you to climb to the top rope, and so on. And most of the really devastating moves can only be applied after your opponent has taken a large amount of stun damage. End quote. Now I know what you're thinking. If the wrestler with initiative just keeps making his rolls, that'd be a pretty dull match. That is true, which is why Clark also gave the bad guys things like cheap shots. Good guys get comebacks, and you can use those to take away initiative. So at least in that, there was some balance brought to the game. Another selling point for the game was that there are over a hundred maneuvers you can use in the game. There's rules for taunting the crowd, and there's also the ability to buy foreign objects to use in the game. You know, foreign objects, steel chairs, Jim Cornette's megaphone, those kinds of things. And in addition to the ability to create your own wrestler, this game had stats for some of the popular WWF stars of the day, like Bret Hart, The Undertaker, Shawn Michaels. Hell, this game statted Doink the Clown, and I doubt most casual wrestling fans even know who in the hell he was. I do. I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, but I do know who Doink the Clown was. Alright, you know me. I gotta tell you if you can find it or not. There's quite the business in selling used copies of this game online, but none of the sites I checked for used games had books in stock. I was also unable to find an official, read, legal PDF of it out there anywhere either. So unless you're really lucky, the chances of finding a copy of this baby are pretty slim. So how about we talk about a game or two you can actually buy and play? 
I'll start with Fantasy League of Wrestling, or Flow, as the creator likes to call it. Created by David Grimsby and self-published by everything I can tell, Flow is, in the words of its creator, Lord of the Rings having an 80s phase where they really got into pro wrestling. In other words, Flow combines the tropes of fantasy games with all the fun of pro wrestling. And it's a co-narrative game, which means that instead of having a GM, everybody at the table has a player and you compete against each other. Also, it should be noted that Grimsby states that, quote, your goal while playing should be story first, winning second, end quote. And yes, it's all about the wrestling, so there won't be any sword and sorcery getting mixed in with your pile drivers and figure four leg locks. There are a couple of five-star reviews of the game on its listing at thegamecrafter.com, but I was unable to find an independent reviewer who has done their own review. If you're interested, the book will run you 25 bucks and can be ordered online from thegamecrafter.com website. I know I usually tell you to head to your friendly local neighborhood game store, but unless you just happen to be in Middleville or Grand Rapids, Michigan, that's not going to be possible. Online only. And if you buy and play this game, I would greatly appreciate it if you'd hit me up with a review. Hell, we might even just put a little thing together and drop it on the Bad GM website for the world to see. All right, last up on the tour today is a game that a lot of folks on Twitter kept telling me I just had to check out if I was going to do a show on wrestling games. And quite frankly, there were folks on Twitter that told me I just needed to check this game out, period. So here we go. Worldwide Wrestling, the role-playing game, was created by Nathan D. Pauletta and published by him through ndpdesign.com. First edition was released in 2015, but there is also a second edition, and it was released in 2021. So before I get into the game, let's take a look at the system that powers it. Powered by the Apocalypse is another independently produced game that created its own system to play by. Basically, it's a 2d6 plus the stat modifier system that's used to resolve all issues. And what kinds of issues might we run into, you ask? Alright, Worldwide Wrestling is a bit different than the other games we've discussed today. First off, there's an actual GM for the game, though they get the title of Creative. Their job is, as you might expect, to set up the show, book the matches, and make sure the card's in the right order. Also, the players in the game aren't playing the gimmick, at least not all the time. The players are playing the person who embodies the gimmick, so there's interaction outside of the ring, and it can include discussions and arguments with creative, making plans with an opponent to change the match, and other things. It's creative's job to make it look like whatever went wrong was supposed to be that way the entire time. Good luck. Worldwide wrestling can be played with as many or as few players as you want, though I'd recommend a GM and two players at the minimum. Players can advance their characters by improving their stats, gaining a valet or manager, getting custom moves, or changing their gimmick to change with the times. You know, like Undertaker went from the Undertaker gimmick, the Dead Man gimmick, the American Badass gimmick, and then all the way back to the beginning. He, he changed with the times and stayed relevant. The author certainly appears to be a fan of wrestling, as he's even gone through the effort to create and include nine short essays on professional wrestling, role-playing games, and how to put the two together. 
Now, here are the downsides. This is yet another game I don't have any independent reviews on. Sure, I had folks on Twitter tell me to check it out, and it certainly seems interesting. However, other than the creator's own postings, I've got no other reviews to use. But, since the PDF for 2nd Edition will only run you 15 bucks, I'd say if you're even remotely interested, buy it and check it out. And then tell me what you think about it, and we'll post your review for the world to see. Here's one other thing. There is a way you can see the game being played before deciding whether or not to drop your cash on it. There's a nine-video series called the Journeyman's Cup Exhibition Series that's available on YouTube. They're using the first edition rules, I believe, and if you've got the time, check them out. It might help you decide whether you want to drop your hard-earned money on this game. This is yet another game where you can't run out to your local game shop to buy it. And I apologize to the local game shops for that. I'm usually better about that. I've usually got at least one game in the series you can do that with. That did not happen this week. The site that you could purchase this game from is ndpdesign.com. All right. So after covering the games I covered for today's show, I'm left with a question. If wrestling's as popular as it is around the world, and believe me, it is very popular worldwide, and if role-playing games are as popular as they are around the world, and again, we know they are, why hasn't one of the major publishers put out a book? I mean, you could use any of the systems we've discussed over the history of this podcast to this point, and even though you couldn't use actual wrestlers without tying into a promotion, you could still put together a game that would, in theory, allow players to create their favorite WWE, AEW, Impact, NWA, or, or whatever company you wanted as wrestlers. And it's not like there aren't wrestlers who are role players. Off the top of my head, I know AEW's Brandon Cutler is a role player. And Wizards of the Coast did a game a year or so ago with Alexa Bliss, Ember Moon, Dio Madden, and a couple of other WWE superstars. And even if I can't name more than that off the top of my head, you know there's got to be more. I mean, you can't have that many video game players that wrestle without at least a few of them being a role player. But I guess that's a job for somebody else because I don't have the kind of time or the kind of money to put together a wrestling tabletop role-playing game. Though I suppose I could be inspired by, you know, cash, ching Anyway, sorry, I digress. That brings us to the end of today's tour. Next week, we'll get into a game I've been wanting to break down for quite some time now. That's Ars Magica. Okay, as we wrap up this week's show, I wanted to invite everyone to check out my new podcast, Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along. I know I dropped it on you last week as a preview, but episode two is out right now, and you can pick it up wherever you get your podcasts. And I would really appreciate it if you would, at the very least, tell your friends about it. The music we use for this show comes from Pixabay.com. Check them out for all your royalty-free music needs. Role-Playing History is a production of Bad GM Productions, and you can follow us on Facebook, Bad GM Productions, Twitter, at Bad GMP, YouTube, Bad GM Productions, Twitch, we have a channel. I have no idea what the hell we're going to do with it, but we've got a channel. It's Bad GM. Email us if you are so inclined, badgmproductions at gmail.com. And a note, our website is almost ready. You can find us at badgmproductions.com. Look, I know this week's show was a little bit shorter than what I shoot for. I go for that 27 to 32 minute range. It happened because when I first announced the topic, I really thought I was going to have better success digging and finding games than I did. 
Back under that normally is I pick another topic and I throw it in here. But the problem was I knew I was timing out about 20, 22 minutes. And if I threw another topic in, I was going to risk running long. So this is one of those rare episodes where I actually just decided we're better off going short, keeping one subject together, and I'll make it up to you with another episode, I know, because it'll, it'll run long at some point. So anyway, that's on me. My apologies. I will, I will do better. I will beat myself with the wet noodle. Anyway, as we wrap up, I wanted to thank you for your continued support of our little endeavor here. Your continued support has allowed me to expand into another podcast and to start up a little production company to see what else we might create and put out. I do hope you will continue to follow and support us as we see where we go from here. How can you support? Tell your friends. Again, it's one of those things like the old commercial goes. You tell one friend, and they'll tell someone, and so on, and so on, and so on. And, okay, yeah, I'm showing my age on that one. You can also help us by leaving great reviews wherever your podcast supplier allows you to leave reviews. I know iTunes does. Some of the others have have fast reviews. Leave us the best reviews you can. We would greatly appreciate it. All right, I'm done wrapping. Next week, it's all about Ars Magica. And I can assure you, this is not your standard sword and sorcery game. You're going to want to check this out. But that's next week. Until then, I'm Wayne Davis, and your role-playing history.